What's up? It's Casey, and we have something so exciting to share with you. Another thing that has been in the works for five ever. It is dun-dun-dun, bitches talk a lot. I mean, a mock. It is an audio mock exam. 175 questions that we read to you and we give you time to answer, and then we give you the correct answer and, of course, the feedback. Why the answer is right and why the other ones are wrong. You do not want to miss this. You can now take a mock exam wherever you are. At the gym, in the car, breastfeeding, whatever you want to do, we got you. You can find this in our shop at www.studynotesaba.com. It's behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we are here, actually together, recording two girls, one mic, on episode ninety-three. Casey, tell them what I came up with for you today. <laughs> Thanks, girl. Yes, uh, we are together. I flew to Texas on Saturday because they had some crazy ass weather down here and Liat was without power. She didn't know how to handle, Texas didn't know how to handle the weather. So I flew in from New England as a hearty New England girl who knows how to deal without power, who knows how to shovel the snow. And the day I get here, what, it's been 60 to 70 degrees ever since. So it was 78 yesterday. 78. So I think that that I was a blessing that brought you the heat. So we needed to keep Liat's fingers. You know how important that is. Very important. I was like, I'm on the next plane out there. I felt like Mrs. Doubtfire in that movie, like, I'm on my way. And he like hops over the like thing in the restaurant. I don't know. That's like literally how I felt I was running through the airport. Also, because like I got vaccinated a couple weeks back. Yeah. So it was safe for me who, you know, you know me, not the most, um, the best at washing my hands all the time. She was waiting till she was vaccinated so I could come out. So I'm here in Texas. Trust so- me, I'm still making her wash her hands, people. I know that sounds frightening. She's like a mom. She's like, we're in a- we were out the other day and she was like, I had to use a restroom in my cafe. And she looked at me and like prompted. She's like, I'm doing hand washing they- movements. And I was like, thank you for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So today's episode 93. We are excited to see what this episode will be. There's the rhyme. We are excited to see what this episode will be. And we have an awesome guest today. Thanks to Instagram, uh, you get to meet really cool people who are doing really cool things. And this is someone um, we follow on Instagram. We've had conversation back and forth with and who is doing really cool things in the ABA space. But before we tell you who our special guest is today, we need a review of the day to get ourselves pumped up and excited. Even though we're kind of pumped because we're in the same room. There's like a certain energy when we yeah. record together than when we're apart. Absolutely. I'm feeling it, sis. Me too. <laughs> okay. So All right. Let's get our review going to even pump up energy even more. Yes. All right. So this one comes in from Rabe Wash. The title is literally laughing out loud. Today while traveling, I was listening and had that embarrassing moment where I cracked up laughing on a plane. Mind you, I was traveling alone. I actually have listened to six or seven episodes during my trip, and they have made the flying less aversive. The laughter was also very much needed because life has just been hard lately. All of your material has made my studying for the exam enjoyable, and I have learned so much. Thank you for being you. I almost cried while I was reading that, literally. Life is fucking hard. It has been really (laughs) hard lately. I agree. Um, We love you. We love you. And just realize you're not alone in these hard days. Like, I mean, this has been a life is, I think, is always hard, but I, the last 2020 going into 2021 has just been like, okay, is this real? So don't give up. You're not alone. And we're here for you. Keep listening and keep laughing. That means a lot. So thank you yeah. so much. All right, let me get into it. So before, without further ado, because we've had a lot of technical difficulties during this episode, but we are here. You know us. I'm practicing my impromptu skills, which I suck at. But I will introduce, we have a really special guest. Her name is Madi Serda. She is a BCBA, a licensed behavior analyst, and a former special educator of almost 13 years. And as we always say, that is a superpower. Um, her current work is an educational consultant to public schools. 
where she gets to create and provide training to teachers and administrators over all things autism and significant behavioral issues. She's also finishing up her dissertation um, and hoping to defend by late summer, early fall. Hopefully we'll get to hear about that. Um, she's completing her doctoral studies at Texas Tech University, um, where much of her work focuses on dissemination of applied behavior analysis in community-based settings and training public educators on implementation of evidence-based practices. Madi is married with three kids um, in her spare time. She likes to garden and run. Um, she is a late diagno diagnosed autistic and still working those feelings and experiences around that part of her life, which I hope we get to talk about that too. So Madi, welcome to the show. Hey, Casey. Hey, Leah. Thanks so much for inviting me today. I'm like so beyond honored. Even though there was like this technical issue thing, it was it was fun to see that it's not, you know, it's not an, a normal for this to exist today. Yep. We were breaking the ice. We were letting you know that shit is not perfect behind the scenes. We don't have volume sometimes or sound and things echo and we were trying a new platform. But you know what? We're here and I'm excited. Me too. Wait, where are you located? Well, I'm also in Texas. That's what I was going to say when I just heard Texas Tech. I'm like, okay, where where are you? I'm in Lubbock, Texas. So Casey, thank you for flying in and saving yeah. all of us. <laughs> oh, so you dealt with it too. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, we're done with it over, over it. And I don't ever want to see snow again. <laughs> yeah, over it. Seriously. Welcome to my life. Six months out of the year. <laughs> Well, and you know, I, I've heard the saying, like, there's no such thing as bad weather, just like poor clothing choices. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I just think we just weren't, obviously, we weren't prepared. We just did not have the resources. And so it's just lesson learned. And, you know, it's 2021. I, I'm no longer asking like, okay, what's going to happen next? Because then it happens. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not going to ask that anymore. Yeah, Never. don't ask. Don't ask. Don't ask. I, it's like, I couldn't even make this shit up. It's like, we were not, I mean, but what are we going to do different this time, Maddie? Like, we'll be like, oh, we'll just rebuild our house with all our piping completely different. I don't even know what we could do. We could be like those um, very enthusiastic, uh, apocalyptic people that want to have a big tub of whatever survival. What What is that show called? The Doomsday Preppers? Yes. I feel like your dad is a doomsday prepper. He only started this in 2020. So because of before COVID started, he's like, I'm telling you, we're going to be locked in the house, blah, blah, blah. So I have like, we even spoke about this like episodes ago. Because I, so I had like all these things of water, like jugs of water from February 2020 and all this stuff. But I actually ended up using it. Oh, during the storm? During this storm, the the water and stuff, because we didn't have any water and everything was frozen and our pipes burst. And yeah, so I guess be prepared. But you couldn't be prepared like that. You live in a shoebox. You don't have space for that. No, I would not be able to be a doomsday prepper in my little tiny apartment. But all right, we digress. Peanut butter and jelly. Um, that's when we're like totally off track, which I love. But um, I want to talk first, Monty, tell us about kind of like, how you got into the field and then maybe leading into like um, starting your Instagram account and what that Instagram handle really means to you. Um, yeah. So I, I went into the field from the, the perspective of wanting to just be in special education, working in that area. So in 2005, you know, I got my first teaching job and I actually applied for something different. And then the principal was like, I think you'd be really good for this behavior unit. Um, and so, of course, you know, first job, I'm like, I'm not going to turn that down. I need money. So I went, you know, and, and I should have known what I was walking into, like when I walked into that classroom and the door locked behind me. Um, and, and it actually turned out to be the most amazing year. And I was working under a BCBA. So that was the first time I had experienced being with or around a BCBA. And she was very... I mean, she was just amazing um, and taught me so many things. And so I decided like, that's, that's where I want to be. That's what I want to be doing, but in the public school setting. And so, um, yeah, that was my, my career. That was, that was the path I was going. And then um, I got to share a story with Gabby um, uh, not too long ago on her act inspired um, podcast about the loss of my first husband. 
Um, um, he was a victim of suicide. And so in 2011, I just dropped everything. I was like, I'm, I can't do this. Like I can't help other people if I can't even help the people closest to me. So I, I had to go through that process. And then I jumped back in around 2012 and I was like, okay, you know, end of 2012, 2013, you know, I was like, I've got to, I've got to get my life back together. I have a two and a three-year-old, um, you know, so I just, I couldn't just sit on my ass and not do anything. Um, and then I met an amazing man who embraced my babies and, you know, it, it just it it just allowed me to continue this journey and recognize that even when we can't help everybody, like I can still make a difference. So um, I, I continued my work in in becoming a BCBA and um, continued working in the school setting. I did step away in 2017. I was like, I want to get some clinical experience and work, you know, in that setting. Um, and that was so eye opening. It was not the way I was taught. Um, it was it was not what I would have ever um, wanted if I had my own clinic for it to be. Um, and I, and I quickly exited. I was like, this is not, this is not me. Um, this is not my approach. Um, and so I went back to the, the public school setting and then an opportunity arose for me to be able to work as a consultant to work with teachers. And I thought, what better way to help disseminate than if I can actually train teachers and so I, I started that in 2017. I've been doing that ever since. And that's kind of where my dissertation kind of was born. Um, and, and that role in my PhD program was, why are we not training teachers on some of these high-level practices? You know, and, and it's more specific to like assessments. And I, I chose the VB map, which obviously isn't all-encompassing, but I wanted to show that we can teach teachers and educators how to use these assessments because we do have federal law saying you have to use evidence-based practices you have to use all of these strategies but then no one still no one is really teaching them how to do it and then no one's giving them the tools to do an assessment to then be able to create a program for these students so i'm probably giving you a really long-winded no, you're no, I like it. but so that's my dissertation. Um, but then, you know, post-college, I actually received my own diagnosis, um, which was kind of shocking. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't go in looking for that diagnosis. Um, and so really, it's hard for me because I'm, I want to finish this dissertation. It's important. But now I'm seeing in our field that there is a need um, that that is related to the autistic community and, and individuals that maybe don't have a positive experience with ABA. And so I'm, I'm feeling pulled in two different directions and I'm trying to like wrap up one really neatly with a bow and then like be able to dedicate more time to this, this other calling that's just as equally important to me. Um, and so I, I started this Instagram account and it's the bilingual BCBA. And really um, it, it wasn't primarily because I can, I am fluent in English and Spanish, um, but more because I lived in both the special ed world and the ABA world. And I felt like I was fluent in both of those, um, in both of those areas and, and understanding federal law and policies and like the, the kind of rock and hard places that a lot of schools and educators are kind of shoved between. And then also understanding the ABA world and, you know, how we want to make an impact in as, in as many places as possible and, and seeing that there's still kind of a rift between those two worlds and, and trying to land in a place where we, I could mediate, you know, and help bring those practices and help schools recognize that we're not arrogant, not all of us. Um, you know, we do want to collaborate. We do want to play nice in the sandbox. So that, that was where the bilingual BCBA account started. I don't even know when, a few years ago. Um, but then as I was really becoming more comfortable at self-disclosing my own diagnosis, um, I, it, it has shifted a little bit into trying to reach across this, both sides of the table between the autistic community and the ABA world and recognizing that we have to remedy this situation. We have to, because this is the primary clientele and community that we serve. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's kind of hard to, to see both sides. I live in both worlds. And so I, I see where both sides are not getting the full picture. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain as to like, oh, how do I get it to where both sides are willing to listen yeah. and then move forward towards progress and towards reconciliation? Hey, so I have a question here. Sorry, Case. This, this is feeling very like I need to get it off my tongue. So tell me this. You said you didn't go in looking for a diagnosis. How, how did this diagnosis come about? So I went in because there was just some things that, that were increasingly happening um, that I was like, am I, do I have anxiety? You know, am I suffering from depression? You know, am, am I OCD? Like what is going on? And, and I think just life, um, you know, as you get older, it gets more complicated, right? I wish it got easier. You know, my kids always say, I want to grow up and be an adult. I'm like, no, you don't. You no, really know. Nope. Hard no. You do it. It's, it's a trap. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I was like, I need to figure something out. I need to find out what's going on because it was impacting my work. It was impacting my relationship with my husband. It was impacting my relationship with my children. And I remember one very specific day um, where, and I know it's happened multiple times, but there was just one very specific moment where I was at the grocery store and my daughter was, was being really kind and she wrote out the grocery list for me and it was in paragraph form and it was not in the order that I normally make my way through the grocery store. Like I have a very specific way that I go and I was trying to read this list that she made for me. It wasn't the the food items weren't in the in the order. They were in paragraph form. And I just all of a sudden, all of my senses were just beginning to like defy me. Like I, I my eyes could not read the words. I was I was panicking because I couldn't go in the direction I needed to go. And so all of these things were happening. And I found myself just like in the bread aisle, just like reading the words, just like as a way to like get myself off of this ledge. And, and I realized like, I have to figure out what the heck is going on. Um, and so I, I reached out to a neuropsychiatrist and, and, you know, they, they give you all of these, you know, questionnaires, forms to fill out, you know, of course, you know, like ADOS2 is not really for adults. So, right. you know, they can't really use those kinds of assessments that maybe we do with younger children. It's more of like just all of these questionnaires and conversations and then, you know, when I got some of these preliminary results back and then like the full, you know, kind of evaluation report, I was, I was shocked when they were, when they were like, you know, you, you really do fall within the spectrum and, you know, yes, you, you do well, yes, you have a job, you know, but, but these are the areas that when we were conversing and you were answering these questions, um, and, and so I, I sat with that for, for a little bit. I didn't tell my husband <clears throat> because I was worried that he was going to voice what I was feeling inside, which was like, no, that's wrong. You're fine. You know, you, mean, you have kids, like you went to college, you went to, and, and I called a, a dear friend of mine. She's another BCBA. Um, and she's, we're like kindred spirits. And, and I said, I have to tell you something and I don't know what to do with this information. And so I told her and she just kind of like chuckled and she goes, that explains a lot. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean that explains yeah. a lot? And so for my friends, as I slowly began to kind of disclose it, my closest friends were like, it makes perfect sense, you know, and they were so helpful in, in helping me to self-reflect on things and even going all the way back to my childhood and recognizing that, oh my gosh, you know, but part of the autism is my, my need to have it pinpointed, like to like this very specific, like this was what it is or what it was that made it autism. And like, you know, my, the neuropsychiatrist was like, that is the autism, the fact that you need it to be so specific. Um, and so, you know, it, it's something that I still you know, I'm dealing with because I had to stop and go, oh, shit, these, these thoughts that I'm feeling, I'm being ableistic towards myself, mm -hmm. you know, and then I, it, it made me pause and go, am I doing this to people I'm working with? 
without even realizing it, you know? And I think that was such a hard, you know, pivot for me, like, whoa, stop. If you're doing this to yourself, you know, cause you see all these cool quotes, like you can't love anybody unless you love yourself. And like, if I'm thinking this about myself, what am I doing to others, you know, that, that don't have, you know, the voice or the, the ability to say, hey, you're not treating me fairly. Um, and so it really caused me to do a hard pause um, and do some self-reflection. Um, but, you know, it, it's, I'm still very cautious of who I self-disclose to. And of course, you know, being with, with you ladies, like, you know, it's kind of like, okay, it's out. <laughs> um, You're in but, a safe place. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I, I, hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> no, that really does. And I think it's actually a really important lesson for all of us to remember because, you know, I think immediately, I mean, we all know there's such a wide spectrum for, you know, like the autism spectrum. They say like, you've seen one individual with autism, you've seen one individual with autism. But I mean, just being completely honest, like my, my head immediately is like, there's no way this person has autism, right? Because, but that just shows how we are so quick to assume that like, it's a, it's a certain, and I'm saying like, I've worked with many individuals with autism, but it's, it's so amazing to have someone like you who could speak out about this and like, uh, you know, and say, wow, okay, I have it also. I'm completely different. I'm somewhere else on the spectrum because we do have some preconceived notions of like what we may have seen with individuals we've worked with in the past or, you know, some um, similarities between different clients. And so it's it's really eye-opening to see someone or to speak with someone like yourself and how you could speak for both sides. I feel like that's so important. Um, and that's work that I'm sure makes you feel like I have a responsibility here to go out and and share this. It does. I, I definitely feel now that that I have, and it's not a burden, but I feel as though, like, yeah, like you said, this like this responsibility. But then there's also this fear because, you know, it, I don't want to piss either side off. Right. Uh, you know, and I feel like I, I don't want to not belong in either community. And, and that's that's a fear that I'm still working through is that, you know, um, I'm going to say something that is not going to align with one side or the other, even if it is the truth and risk ending that open dialogue. So I remember when we were. I think I'm muted. Okay. I remember when we were talking on the phone and we kind of, you know, it's one of those conversations where, you know, autistic individuals, and there's definitely been a history of ABA that isn't great, right? We cannot deny that. And, you know, you know, I'm sure people get defensive. They're, That's not the way I practice ABA or whatever it is, but you need to, as practitioners, we need to sit with that and and actually look and be like, all right, you know what? That's actually true. That shit happened, right? Like, so how do we, you know, you know, stay true to our ethical values and believe in our science, but also understand that this is true shit that they're talking about. It's not made up, right? Like they may have had a shitty experience with someone delivering shitty ABA. And I say that like, you know, or was it ABA truly the way it was done? Like as to what we understand it as today, so it's a difficult conversation and I, I, I get nervous too. I'm like, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't want to say wrong, one thing wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I kind of use, and I'll, I'll just say like, this is a little bit of a trigger warning for anybody that has experienced, you know, abuse or, you know, um, assault or anything like that. I, I just want to trigger warn. Um, but I want to use that analogy of if we had somebody that, that we cared about or that was important to us that said, I've been assaulted by my significant other right? And, and I'm, I'm, I need help. We're not going to say, oh, well, all guys aren't like that. That's right. not going to be the first thing that comes uh -huh. out of our mouth. Wow. You know what I mean? And I think that we get so attached to the science that we are disseminating that we, we sometimes forget that we are objective scientists and we have to maintain a separation as, from who we are as people from the science that we're practicing and recognizing that the implementation can be done horrifically 
and and it invalidates the science almost, you know, for that person and that experience. And I think if we become very defensive and attached to it because it is our work, um, we risk perpetuating the trauma by dismissing it and saying, yeah, but I don't practice that way, mm-hmm. right? Or, oh, no, my company's not that way. It's the same thing as saying not all guys are like that. You know, it's we'll, a great analogy, a powerful analogy. You know, and we'll get to that conversation at some point where we can model and the person be willing to see the way it's supposed to be done. But until they're willing to see, we we can't push that. We can't push ahead to that part of the conversation. And that's where I'm I think, you know, as a field, and I'm speaking with that hat on. We've got to take a minute and pause and validate these experiences because it's by validating, we are not betraying ourselves or the science. We are recognizing that this is an individual that has been impacted. Um, And, you know, like Liat, I remember, here's another analogy. You have a very specific medication that you needed. And when COVID was first coming out, they were talking about that medication and even though like it was contraindicated for COVID and it's only for very specific people, like there was a shortage because people were like, it was flying off the shelves. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so for you, you needed that. But if someone else had come into to the doctor and said, this medication was harmful to me, it hurt me, you know, that person should still be able to have that conversation. So the doctor can say, okay, let's look at the dosage. Let's make sure that we don't need an off-brand or a different, you know, uh-huh. of it. But that doesn't invalidate that it works for you, that it's beneficial to you. But but that doctor wasn't going to go, oh, yeah, but it works for Liat. So why is it not working for you? You know, and so I think if we approached it from the, okay, well, let's investigate. What was, you know, were you getting 60 hours of ADA a week? Was it all discrete trial? And so I think... We, we have to be able to still maintain that bedside manner of tell me, tell me how it was, how, tell me about this experience for you. We need to be able to be detectives and, and figure out, even without having to point it out to them, but making those mental notes of this is where it went wrong. This is where the breakdown happened, you know, and, and validating and hearing that. And, and for me, it's just, I think that's also coming from the, the special ed world when teachers have a student and they just want to be heard. You know, whether the teacher's not doing the right thing or, or whatever, they want to be heard and know that their experience, you know, is validated and will be taken into consideration for whatever interventions or, or whatnot happen. And I think that's the first step for us as clinicians. But then I see the other side. And that's where, you know, I, I've really just been listening, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've, I've been kind of just wanting to see where are the voices coming from? What is it that they're speaking out? And and this is just, again, one perspective, one autistic perspective, one neurodiverse perspective. You know, I, I can't speak for the whole community. But what I'm finding is many of these passionate voices speaking out are young women. Um, and and they're they're speaking out very clearly. They're 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 pointing to something that I don't think that ABA necessarily implemented incorrectly. I think it's something that we overlooked completely, you know, and Skinner, Bear, Torino, they all have said in their works that internal events, private events are just as important as the behaviors outside in the external environment. Mm -hmm. And until ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, relational frame, until those aspects of ABA really started kind of, you know, getting momentum, I, I, I think, and again, this is all anecdotal, you know, I think we neglected those internal events, those private events of thoughts and emotions and how they can serve as MOs for behavior. And we are women, we operate from that probably more than men do men are very logical right it's kind of you know um and i and i had that aha moment when i was listening to a podcast the other day where they brought on a young man who was autistic 
He had received services with this organization. He was sharing his experience of ABA. And I was, as I was listening to him, I was like, this is a great example of a male perspective of how ABA was valuable to him. And so I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm still like wrestling with this part of, of my thoughts on this whole situation. And so I don't even know that it was a misapplication of ABA. I think we just completely neglected a piece of it and, and a piece of, you know, what these young um, voices are saying is valuable to them, you know, and, and I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, it's still something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out. And, and how do you, how do you start that conversation? <laughs> I think a big part of it is I've seen a lot of BCBAs that lack soft skills and those soft skills, I feel like make you human and lead kind of like tend to lead way to more accepting of all those private events and understanding that you know what sometimes you just can't go in and be like i need to know exactly what happened before and i need to know the behavior and i need to know what happened after and like sometimes it's not going to fly with families or with whoever you're working with like it's, it could be a lot more than that right it's not just like what was in the environment right before like i know we you know talk about the abcs all the time but it's like there is so much more shit going on than that and like if we can't be open-minded enough and radical enough to really like honor that and listen like you were saying you're just listening right if we can't just listen we are doing a disservice absolutely yeah for sure and and you know i i supervised some students um and we did a very typical like identify target behavior activity this past month and she took that, and it's from Cooper, it's out of Cooper, like they provide you kind of that example. And she took it and she called it, she's like, I'm actifying it. And she yeah. like removed things like problem behavior and, you know, yeah. and she was like, what are, how is this, um, how is this behavior hindering the individual from accessing what they value, right? And she just spun it in a way that I was like, if we were to score this, it would be so different based on the way she reframed these questions. And it, it, it forces you as a practitioner to look at your client in a completely different way, you know? And, and I was just so proud of her for doing that. Um, but I think that's something that we, we as a field need to do. Like, let's reframe. This isn't just a, a set of behaviors in a body we need to change. You know, this is an individual that is struggling, you know, and needs to, and needs tools to be able to improve their life. And, and I was, I was um, talking with somebody the other day and I, and I told them, had I gone to like a traditional ABA clinic as a kid, I would have counter controlled the shit out of the therapist. Yeah. Yeah, you would have. So like, mm -mm, I'm not, I would have done better with like an ACT coach, mm -hmm. right? To help me navigate, you know, these difficult situations that now looking back, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, that would have helped me so much, you know, to be able to have these skills to navigate this world that I, I know I don't fit well in, you know, and I'm still dealing with even in a work career environment, um, because my perspective is different. I can't force my brain to think in, in these ways that, that sometimes I'm being asked to think. I just, I just can't do it. Um, and so I, I just think that when we talk about autism as a spectrum and such a wide spectrum, we need to look at our science in the same way. ABA is such a wide spectrum of implementation that it needs, we need to be flexible with how it looks with each individual that we're working with. And it's not a standard, here's your protocol for everybody. We do it, you know, it's like a very boxed almost approach. Uh -huh. I like what you said or not like what you said. I hate what you said, but like about like how about the pro like what's the problem behavior? Imagine always like just being someone telling you what that you're a problem behavior, right? Like you're a problem. I, I just can't like what it just hit me in the heart. Like for as I don't, you know, I'm not an autistic individual, but if I was, if someone was going through what, my life being like, this is your problem behavior, this is a problem behavior, we need to fix you, we need to fix this, and we're here to fix you, like that that whole thing I'm just like disgusted right like yeah well and there was another question too that it was like will 
the replacement behavior, um, and I'm I'm just ad libbing this. I'd have to like pull it up. It was it was like, will the replacement behavior um, be like highly reinforcing for those around the individual? Like the individuals doesn't matter. It's around them. Is it going to be better for people in their life? Right? Yes. Is it going to make life easier? I for always look at that when we're teaching it because like we talk about like stakeholders, and it's like there's certain things that. Like, yeah, it's like, okay, so it makes it better for them. Certain things, like, I understand. Like, we would love to be able to, like, go out as a family and take them out to enjoy something. You know, like, okay. But, but would the kid, does the client want to do that? Yeah, like, does the client want to do that? You know, and to them, is it, like, that painful being out somewhere? You know, like, so it's just such a, like, a, a good perspective to look at because, who who are we trying to make happy here? Who are we trying to help find that, you know, because I mean, if you think about it, like if you went to a psychiatrist, right, and you're like, I've just been feeling really down lately. I am, I don't know, I've just been, and it's like, yeah, but it's really affecting your family, you know, like you feeling down like this and you're like, whoa, like I'm the one feeling like in such a dark place or whatever it is. And so it's just this, this refocusing. Right. Right. And well, and like, like you said, like, how would you feel if you're, you're sharing all this and they're like, yeah, but you just need to smile because you're making people uncomfortable with your depression. You know, you just, you just, you want to just put on a happy face. And that hits home for me, having a, a, a late husband that suffered from severe depression. Right. And, and going, no, to invalidate, you know, mm -hmm. And, 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 that, and, and I'm going to circle back around because um, internal events, private events can be some of the most self-injurious behaviors. And if we ignore them and act like they don't exist, then what happened to my husband will happen to many other individuals. He was an amazing individual, but he had some of the most self-injurious private events, you know, that no one saw. And if he hadn't shared it with me, no one would have ever known. Um, and so I think, you know, my student reframed that and she was like, will the replacement behavior allow the individual to access what they value? Wow. And if, val if they value peers and peer interaction, then great. If they value, you know, being with family, then it's so much easier to say when we can adjust these skills for you or provide these these alternative ways, it helps you access what you value, you know, as opposed to it makes everyone else feel good in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a completely different mind shift. I love that. Me too. I'm just like, no, I'm like thinking and yeah. like, first of all, you've motivated me to actually want to go read more on different act things. I, I feel like I I'm not up to speed enough on it, maybe because I'm just constantly studying for the test. <laughs> for the rest, you're busy. Um, but but seriously, because I mean, when you say that, it's just like wow. It seems you know? so like like duh, duh. jinx. jinx. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but just that that idea of like, okay, well, there are going to be individuals who like love more than anything to spend time with their mom, let's say, but like they maybe are, you know, highly aggressive towards their mom and they're not understanding why they can't interact. So like that would be valuable to be like, you want to be able to be around your mom, but obviously something's not going right here. Or, you know, when there used to be the Asperger's diagnosis, um, I work with a lot of individuals who now would just be like considered on the spectrum. And it was like, this genuine urge to want friends and to be social and like no effing idea as to why someone would not want to engage with them. Right. So it wasn't like me being like, look, we need to get you some social skills and activities to do whatever it is. Right. Which like, I mean, I do think probably someone would have this programmed in a lot of ABA, but not looking at whether the individual wanted it or not. We'd be like, oh, it's important that someone has social skills. Right. But I'm saying I've worked with people who actually really wanted it and like genuinely no effing idea as to why someone is not wanting to be their friend back when they like 
tell them they have pimples on their face every day or something, you know? So you're like, well, maybe that's not the best way to greet someone or tell them they've gained weight or what, you know? Right. And to that individual that is so socially significant and meaningful and for them to be able to even have one friend. And it's like, if you could work on that with the individual, but also think about it, how much more effective our treatment would be just understanding MOs, right? Like that's that's obviously an establishing operation to them. That is valuable. They have expressed like, I want to be able to have friends, right? When we're working on these skills that are important to our assessment pieces of, even if it was for us of like, I need you to make friends and they'd literally like, my brother, for example, you know, on the spectrum, he's happy as can be playing his um, Xbox all day, going from Xbox to iPad to other TV in the other room to this, to that. And it's more for my family that my family's like, oh, it just kills us to see him going from room to room. But he's happy. He's happy as can be. So like, it's you not know, our job to change that. Exactly. Like he's so happy doing that or like, so his MO when we were like making him do these like social programs or whatever it is, is like, why do I like, there, there is no MO, like it's an abolishing operation, you know? And so just this idea of like, also how much further our treatment would get because both the individual and the practitioner are on the same side going for the same thing, you know? Right. So when you say this, I, I mean, it's, it's actually making me feel guilty for different things that I've been like, I want for Gal because it's because of my socially significant um, things that are, that, that are values that are important to me. I'm like, oh, I can't imagine like not having a friend to talk to or not having anything to do. And it's just to realign yourself like that. I'm like, whoa. Well, and, and even like, Instead of it being about let's pull the person out to our environment, what if it was rewritten to be asking him, would it be valuable to you if someone joined you in these Xbox games and in these iPad activities? Would that be valuable to you? And he, if he's like, yeah, I would love someone to join me. Well, then by golly, we're going to write the program to where you invite someone to come and do this with you and they authentically engage in this activity with you because then there's a more likelihood that he's going to be like huh if you're fun in this environment maybe you're fun in the other place that you want me to join you right and it's not always about i'm going to pull you out of what you want to do so you can make my life fun but let me join you in what you enjoy and then maybe you'll be interested maybe this you're is amazing it seems so pragmatic but I feel like I'm having a light bulb. Like it's it's weird because I'm like, this is so pragmatic. Like, duh, as you say it, you know, it's like that makes so much sense. It's so simple. And but the sad fact is it's not happening as it should be. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying like I consider myself pretty like pragmatic with those kind of things. And like, okay, dude, we're not teaching this kid to like count change, like it's useless for him, or you know. But when you when you say this now, I'm I'm like, yeah, and I cannot, I, I feel like a responsibility of even having like any sort of platform to stand on now of like, okay, I need to like disseminate this idea further and further as to what you're saying. And now I know like in our classes, we'll definitely like include this and in, in talking about, but wow. Well, that, that was kind of my last, my last IG post. I was like, values are so much bigger than behavior. Let's think bigger. What is this person's value? And it doesn't matter like their cognitive ability or, you know, what, you know, I, I know we don't like to talk about levels of functioning, but it doesn't matter where they are. Every single individual has overarching values, what is valuable to them. And if we look at our work from that perspective, any behaviors underneath that that are either supporting the values or hindering the values becomes so much easier to address because it's all about what they value, not what's important to me. And that to me is the epitome of socially significant. Beautiful. I have goosebumps. I'm like, <laughs> I'm writing like notes. I'm like, I, now that we're in person, I actually want to see if she does, if this is like something she says. Oh, she always thinks when I'm like, when I'm taking Well, no, because she always has goosebumps. So oh, oh. yeah, I have them. Oh my God. 
Um, oh, I thought you meant about, do I actually take notes? Like, yeah, I definitely take notes. No, um, I was looking for the goosebumps. So call, I, your, call your ass out. <laughs> I also want to talk a little bit about um, LEAP, your nonprofit. Yes. So it's, it's a baby. I mean, you know, back in, I don't know, when was it? October, November, when the BACB released those demographics, mm-hmm. um, I was like, oh, crap. I mean, I, I wasn't surprised. Um, but it was still kind of disappointing to just which demographics it. are you speaking about, just so that anyone listening knows? Yes, so like the, the percentage of ethnicity and race in the ABA world. Um, and so I was like, if we are if we are approaching and working with a diverse group, our practitioners should match that diversity. Absolutely. Um, and and it, and you know. I just really felt this calling of what is what is hindering right values what is hindering individuals diverse individuals whether it's you know BIPOC non you know BIPOC individuals LGBTQ neurodiverse peoples what is hindering them from being able to enter into the field and like over and over I just kept hearing it's so damn expensive I either I either can pay my rent or I can pay for supervision for the month, right? I can pay a bill and I just, it just broke my heart because, you know, then it's about our field and people, and I'm not, I don't want to discredit, you know, that we have talented individuals, but it's talented individuals who could afford to come into it. Yeah. You know, and not just on talent alone or not just on skill set alone. And so I was, I was like, what can I do? I can either just gripe about it right? Or I can try to make some tiny ripple in the pond. And so I thought of LEAP. Why not, why not start a nonprofit where we write for grants, you know, because I work in the education world. So I see grants all the time. There's a crap ton of money out there. So why not write for grants and scholarship people? You know, why not, you know, provide a way around this financial barrier so that they don't have to worry about this? Um, and so we did. We have a we have our first official cohort of of leapers. We call them leapers. What does um, leap stand for, Amadi? The Lighthouse for Equitable Access and Practices. I love that. Thank you. So it's all about just equitable access, and and so we have our first cohort, and they are 100% scholarshiped. They are receiving supervision services. Um, but I also wanted it to be nonprofit because I don't want to compete with any, with anybody. I don't want to take yeah you know, business away. And I know we've kind of talked about, you know, doing some scholarships and that, and I'm excited about that, but I wanted it to be something where we supported what you and, and Liat are doing, what, you know, what, what, you know, any other organization or business is doing by being able to help financially yep. get someone to be in your study group, right? And, or, or if someone already has a supervisor that they mesh well with, like, I don't want to take that away. I don't want to say you have to come be a leaper. No, let me give you a $5,000 scholarship and you've got your supervisor for the 12 to 18 months that you need them. Right. And so it was just like, this is what we need to do. And so that's, that's what we're working on. And, and I'm excited. It's, it's, I think it's so awesome. It's, it's absolutely needed. It is just, I mean, and I'm sure it's a lot of work and you are, it's just, amazing. I'm sure you're just bored all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no. And my husband, <laughs> my husband was like, do you, are you serious? Like, do you need to take on one more thing? Because you're working full time. You have this dissertation, you have your family. And I'm like, I'll just, I'll sleep at some point, but I, I, the dissertation will be done. Right. And then what am I going to do with my time? And so, you know, he kind of rolls his eyes and he's like, okay, okay. And then the other day I was like, hey, let's do a nonprofit journal, like where people don't have to pay for getting research articles. And he's like, no, (laughs) someone else can do the dang. Sometimes Casey has to reel me in on some things. I'm like, okay, and now we're going to do this. And she's like, Biatch, we have like 33 projects started. Like, let's get one done first. Yes. And I have, thankfully, I have a team now. And I, and I say a team. Um, there's two ladies that are working on the policy side because it's nonprofit. Um, so they're not really in the ABA world. They're in the policy um, world. So they, they've been so amazing and helping with that. But I have two ladies, Christina and Margaret, shout out to them, um, that 
they are, I could not do this without them. I, I like, I throw the crazy ideas and then they're like, okay, well, how do we like operationally do this? Right. <laughs> like, try out the task analysis for it. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I feel very passionate about, I want to see more autistics in the field, right? I mean, Absolutely. There's, there's a hashtag, nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see. Oh, I love that. Put that in that. Yeah, nothing, nothing about us without us. Um, and and I want to see, I want to see black researchers. I want to see more Latina researchers. I want to see on these larger platforms, you know, representation so that future students and even children that we're working with can go, wow, you look like me and you're helping me, right? Like you understand. Yeah, there's that connection. When you say it, I mean, even this week, Casey being in Dallas, she's like in on this rant. She's been saying like, Leah, I can't believe your community here because I live in the Jewish community, right? Like I'm active in the Jewish community. She's like, I can't believe this. And then she's finding out all these like interesting things we do with the Sabbath or like she was very disturbed that I couldn't turn on a hot plate on Shabbat and my food was cold, but like we can't use electricity on Shabbat. And she's like, all this stuff. And it's like, even think about like, we talk 24-7. We have so much in common in terms of like ABA and everything we do. And like how much you've learned about my culture, for example, even being here for like a few days, right? Like in my house. Well, you have people that like, like she was saying, like diverse, right? If someone comes in that looks like you, that like you have that community and it's like, you feel like so connected. That's what I'm saying. And so it's like- And I like, my community like isn't like that at all. Like my culture, I was saying- in, you know, for me, like we would never go like just knock on our neighbor's door and unannounced. Like it's very like you make it an appointment to see your family. Like I'll put you on my calendar. Like it's so weird, like the differences, but like you're saying, like just you having feel that at comfortability. Home. You feel at home. It's, 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 it, and when you say it, it's so important because I didn't realize what community I have. Like I knew like it's just my normal. And so, when Casey was like pointing out all these differences we have, like, do you realize how cool that is that like you do this and like, you know, this person's going to be there for you for this or whatever it is. And I'm like, wow, like that's just home for me. That's, you know, and so to have someone, you know, to have this diverse group of individuals, especially working with someone that you connect with, you know, like that's just like natural pairing too, like beyond like, oh, we're sharing an iPad that we both like you know, or talking about trucks or whatever it is to pair. I mean, that's just so powerful. Right. And, and, and think about how that affects us as practitioners and, and identifying those values. Right. I mean, cause you, you were kind of saying that you, you see, you know, each other from this one lens of ABA. Yeah. Your whole world just got opened up to this other side of her life. Mm-hmm. And with that influence, as far as, as as a practitioner, like the goals that I would have, you know, so different, yeah. What, do I understand the family's values and why you're why they're asking for these things? Why the client values, you know, these certain you know activities or individuals? And and if we don't have that connection, I think it's harder to to understand why it's important to put that as part of any intervention or program. So, yeah, I just, I think it's so important, you know, and I I go even as far as like theory of mind, you know, if I'm teaching social skills to, um, and I I use the analogy, like if I have a a young black client, am I going to be really adequate to teach social skills of how to successfully um, deal with an encounter with law enforcement, right? Because being autistic and black is, is a double uh-huh. you know, whammy. And yep. and as, as someone who is not Black, do I understand the culture and the absolute criticalness of teaching this type uh-huh. of skill? Because it can be life or death. You know, and I, I just think that we have to have individuals that are practicing that understand the the urgency of some of these things that, that our clients need to have. Um, and, and I was just gonna, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I feel so passionate. Like it is our duty as test prep, as you with leap and supervision, like to get more people 
of diversity to pass this fucking test to get their supervision hours. And like, we just hope as much as we can do to support to, you know, give scholarships and with leap with BABA with whatever we can do to help like that is something that I'm super passionate about. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I know, okay, this is kind of like, what did you call it a peanut butter and jelly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all like before I forget, because I don't, I don't know what our time limit we're, is. Yeah, we're about there. So but like for the autistic community, you know, and, and, and us going back to, you know, starting that dialogue and starting that conversation, I think one of the things that, so, that, that just hit me the other day was the one thing that we need to make sure we are not trying to do is removing the human condition of suffering. Whether we have a disability or not, we can't escape that. And I don't want either side to feel as though this is what the science is, is intended to do or trying to do or has failed to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we can give skills to improve anybody's life in whatever value system that they hold, but we can't remove human suffering. We can't, it's universal across everybody on this planet. And I, I, and I think that sometimes, you know, we may go in, at, you know, let's use the psychologist, for example, like I may say, well, I use all of these skills and my cat still got run over, you know, I'm still in pain. And it's like, I, I can't undo. Mm -hmm. Like life. bad shit happens. Right. No matter what, no matter what skills you have. Um, and I think sometimes there's this expectation that, well, you said that by doing this, it was going to fix my life. It's like, well, we gave you skills, but I can't keep life from happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I just, I just kind of wanted to add that because that's been something that's on my mind that we can, we can do a lot of great things, but I really don't like the, the term we can save the world Yeah, because we can't. No, we can't. No. And we have to be honest about that. And like, even being realistic with our families and our clients and, you know, as therapists, if I go to therapy, like exactly, like I would not expect my therapist to be like, oh, I'm going to give you this med and your life's going to be perfect. Or like, I'm going to, you know, we're going to do this talk therapy and guess what tomorrow, like everything's going to be great and nothing bad will ever happen to you again for the rest of your life. <laughs> Yeah. And it feels kind of like that, that health and wealth gospel thing, right? Like if mm -hmm. you, if you tithe or if you do all of these things, like you will be a millionaire and you will have perfect health for the rest of your life. It's like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> we can't promote that. We can't, mm -hmm. we can't do that. So. Madi, you're amazing. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say, um, thank you so much for, yeah. you, have, you have a, uh, a really a gift in the way that you disseminate the information and the way that you, uh, like, I'm telling you, like, these are some of these like things are things I've heard, but I feel like I'm hearing it for the first time in the way that you communicate these messages and these um, I, ideas of practice and, and what we can do to be better. And so I just want to tell you to keep doing that. I want to reinforce that behavior because it, it really is something special. So thank you so, so, so much for coming on today. Thank I've you. had a blast. Thank you, ladies. Y'all are, y'all are just as amazing, <laughs> like in person, I say in person, um, as all of the recordings and podcasts that I've listened to. So you like, we're not as good as technology in person that you would have thought right before. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad it's not just me. <laughs> it's not, you're not alone. Thank you for this amazing episode. I know that it's going to, you know, hopefully reach a lot of people and, it will open up some conversations, open up, you know, some eyes and um, ears and hopefully people listen up. So um, thank you, Maddie. Thank you, ladies. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. All right, guys, you know where to find us. You could find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook, Behavior Bitches Podcast, our website, behaviorbitches.com. You can always leave us a five-star review and no other amount of star review on the Apple store, uh, Apple podcast app. We'll always take five stars. I live for that shit and I'm really trying to reach a goal over here. So not to sound desperate, but go leave five stars. And as always, love ya, mean it.
Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 